0: funny to be here at the 9 o'clock service like usual and have to stand up here. Um, so Luke, chapter 12, I hope, I hope you're not expecting a message from Revelation because um, Jane, um, I was given this passage to preach on. Um, so I'm, I saw the notes earlier saying that we would be studying Revelation, uh, but we're not this morning, but it might relate. Um, so Luke 12, this, this is a really interesting passage in that it's one of those um, hinge passages in that you've, you've kind of got to look back to understand the context in which uh, this is written. Um, and this is part of Luke's, um, Luke's very long travel narratives. So Jesus is on the journey to Jerusalem with the disciples and with followers and people around him. And, uh, and these travel narratives are where Jesus kind of explains a lot of things on his way to Jerusalem. And It's it's kind of interesting. I was was reading a number of these passages in preparation, and it's uh, you you can almost imagine that if if the church was around, the today's church was around in those days, there's loads of things that Jesus said in these narratives that would make great T-shirts and great little plaques for your kitchen, et cetera, et cetera. And and you can almost imagine, you know, if there were, you know. Unfortunately, I've spent most of my life in Christian ministries, so so I've had to go to all these festivals and Christian events and and There's always the the uh, the exhibition areas where they sell kind of the Christian what they call art Sorry to be rude if you're really into that Christian art Um, But you go to the Christian arts areas and there's all these uh, things with beautiful verses written on and sayings of Jesus and and then you get to this passage and, and the crux bit of this passage is, sell your possessions and give to the poor. Now, I don't know about you, but I've never been to a festival, maybe Greenbelt, where they, where they have that, that, uh, that thing typed on a t-shirt, or on a pebble, or a little nice picture, or whatever. Um, sell your possessions and give to the poor is the crux of this little passage here. So you have to go back. And if you go back, um, I won't take you through the whole thing. But there's a parable here in chapter 12, which is called, um, the heading in the Bible is called the parable of the rich fool. But as I, as I retell this story, um, I think what you'd find out, there was, this was the parable of a, a wise rich person, because um, he says, someone in the crowd called to Jesus and said, tell my brother to divide his inheritance with me. So Jesus had just been talking about all these warnings and encouragements and things that you should and shouldn't do, and this chap interrupts and says, oh, excuse me, master, can you tell my brother to share the inheritance with me? It's it's almost like he hadn't been listening. And Jesus replied um, that he wasn't the judge, be on your guard, and then he told this parable about a rich man who yielded an abundant harvest. And he thought to himself, what should I do? I have no place to store my crops. So he says, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns, build bigger barns, and there I'll store my surplus grain. Uh, I'll have plenty of grain laid up for many years. I'll take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. That's another great T-shirt, isn't it? Eat, drink, and be merry. Um, so so when, when you look at this chap, you know, he's done well. He's worked hard. He's made an abundance. And surely he has the right to, to store up his crops and take life a bit easier and eat, drink, and be merry. And yet Jesus refers to him as a fool. You know, why do you store up these things rather than your treasures in heaven? And it's, it's a really interesting um, example of where Jesus counters the culture. If you went to your financial advisor, if you have a financial advisor, and said, look, I've got too much money, what should I do? Um, they'd probably give you the advice that this man was following. Well, I'll take some and put it in here, And then you can take life easy, you can eat, drink, and be merry, and you've got enough to last forever. And yet Jesus calls them a fool. It's very, very countercultural. And then you go on to this whole passage um, leading up to the bit that we've just read, um, where Jesus says, you know, don't worry about your life. Don't worry about what you'll eat, about your body, what you'll wear. For life is more than food, the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens, they don't sow or reap. They have no star- storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. How much more valuable are you than birds? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider the wild flowers, etc. So all of this leads up to this passage that starts in verse 32 that says, Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. And you can imagine them stood there saying, This is fantastic. You know, we don't have to worry about a thing. You know, we've got the kingdom. Um, God's pleased with us. And then the next bit, verse 33, sell your possessions and give to the poor. And so it's, it's that juxtaposition when Jesus is talking about the kingdom of, you know, you might have plenty, you might, um, you might be comfortable, but, you know, there's a, there's a kingdom obligation. Uh, towards the poor I've spent um, too long really but the last 20 years working with a lot of uh, very wealthy philanthropists doing very interesting projects all over the world it's been, it's been an interesting journey and uh, one of the most fascinating things is, is that some, some of the wealthiest people I've met um, are some of the most generous but some of the wealthiest people i met are also some of the most complicated people I've ever met yeah, they have they have complicated problems. Um, the, one of the families that I've worked with in America, um, you know, very, very wealthy, and they said that um, our business is not about making money. Our business is about two things, um, the gospel of salvation and the word of God. And um, the year, a few years ago when I started working with them, they decided that year they'd give away a billion dollars to those two things the gospel of Christ, and the word of God. A billion dollars. And, um, and, it's, and it's really interesting to work with a family of, of huge wealth, they've got businesses all over America, and you go to their headquarters, and on the walls of their offices are not pictures of the products they sell, or the stores that they have, or the companies they own, but they're pictures of Gideon Bibles and pictures of Crusades in Africa and pictures of um, the U version of the Bible. In fact, the original iPhone from the very first download of U version, which they funded, um, and uh, pictures of the Museum of the Bible. This incredible museum in Washington DC, and and all of the pictures in their corporate headquarters um, relate to the cause that they are committed to, and the family have their own store. Um, behind their offices, and you go into the store, and every product, you go and pick something up, it could be a, you know, a picture frame or a T-shirt or whatever, and, and it has on the bottom, this is the, uh, the cost to us, this is the retail cost, the number of units sold per month, um, the profit made, and on the bottom line of every single product, and this is a whole massive store, is, is the bottom line, and it's in red. And it says how much this has generated for the kingdom. And I was walking around the store with some of the family, and they said, you know, if if that bottom line um, isn't good enough, we stop selling it. They are totally committed to the kingdom. And for them, you know, their calling is the word of God and the gospel of Christ. And and it's really interesting to uh, see a family who are, you know, very, very wealthy, uh, very successful, and yet their bottom line is unchanging. They said, you know, we are not in the business of selling these things, we're in the business of the kingdom. And it reminded me of, um, you know, this, this challenge here of uh, what do we do for the poor? Do you go and sell your possessions and give to the poor? The church um, is very good at helping people with problems. It's, it's globally very, very impressive. And when you look at issues today, like, um, like you know we're facing with food poverty, etc., or with um, alcoholism or whatever, the church is really good at providing food banks and Alcoholics Anonymous and support groups and all these things. And, um, and globally, it is extremely impressive that the church is there at the point of need for so many people. I was at an event the other week, and um, there's a commission, Church Works Commission which uh, Gordon Brown and Ian Duncan Smith are working with people like the Bishop of Durham and, and other, other people to look at this winter, um, yeah, there's going to be a crisis. There's going to be a heating crisis, going to be a food crisis, going to be a, a, a crisis that's going to hit this country um, that's going to be very significant. And what can the church do to respond? And part of the Church Works Commission, again under the, um, under the leadership of the Bishop of Durham, is, is looking at, you know, can churches become a place of, um, they're talking about a place of warmth, a place of welcome, and a place of wellness. And they're, they're looking. They're launching in September, trying to find, I think it's, I'm not sure if it's two or ten thousand, so I'll say two, um, two thousand churches across the country in areas that are going to be most hard hit by these issues to say, you know, would your church be willing to open between 5 and 10 p.m. as a place of welcome, as a place of warmth, maybe provide some food or at least some coffee, um, and as a place of wellness. And we as a charity, we're working on the kind of wellness side with them and looking at developing programs that could be delivered through churches. And, um, and it's really interesting because the, um, the uh, government department that's, that's commissioning this work um, went back to their department and and did this brainstorm and somebody in their department said, we can't use churches because they're religious. And they said, well, yeah, but they are everywhere. You know, the parish system is perfectly set up to help every single person in this country. Everyone can walk to the local church. I don't know if it's still true, but everyone could walk to their local church. Um, So surely, you know, they are the perfect solution to this problem. And then somebody said, well, actually, you know, most people can walk to a train station or a bus station, so we should fund the train and bus companies to open up, can you imagine, opening up train station waiting rooms as that place of welcome and warmth and wellness. And um, anyway, they've reverted back and said, no, we're going to work with the church, which is great news. So in September, Paul, the Bishop of Durham, is, is going to make an announcement and, and talk about how the church can help people that are in great need this winter um, and it'd be great if we can be involved in that The reason I mentioned the, the church being good at helping people with problems is that um, th- there are many problems in the world and you know we could sell some possessions and we could give to the poor But I think there are other solutions. I think we should do those things <clears throat> It'd be great today if we all went home and said, you know, what's the one thing or many things we're going to sell to give to the poor? And who are the poor and how can we help them? It'd be great if we could all go and do that. But there's another issue, is that, um, you know, we're really good at addressing problems but not the conditions. So when you look at some of the problems in the world, you know, I, I was, I was a, when I first got involved in mission work, I thought the only place I could do mission work was amongst the poor. So I was in my, I was early 20s, I thought, I know, I've read these biographies, I know what to do, I'll give everything up, and I'll go and live in a slum in India. And six months later, I was back, um, and realized I didn't really do much. Yeah, there's not a lot that you can do just by being present. Um, but there are, There are. sorry, I'm, getting, I'm sidetracking here. The, the, um, the, issue, the issue I was going to talk about was, yeah, there are problems and there are conditions. So when you look at the problem of... Um, if you go back to, say, Guinness. So Guinness uh, made beer, made stout, and Guinness was concerned about alcoholism in Ireland. You know, the gins and the... And, all, you know, massive alcohol, alcohol problems in Ireland. And he decided he would make a drink that men would drink that was good for them. It's true, the advertiser did say, you know, Guinness is good for you. So he, instead of dealing with a problem, you know, the church or society's solution to that problem of alcoholism is probably Alcoholics Anonymous and Rehab. But he went right back to the condition and said, well, the condition is you know, people like a drink. How can I make a drink that men would drink that was good for them, and therefore begin to eradicate alcoholism? I mean, you look at uh, people like Jesse Boot when he set up Boots, you know, he, was, he was concerned about, how do I produce medicine that is available to uh, poorer people because they need it? And then how do I... If you, if you go to Boots, it's a really weird shop. You know, they sell medicines and you know, they used to sell baby clothes and food processing things and, and stuff for preserving food. And it was all focused in on how do we help these people to care for their health through medicine, through, um, through good diet, through literature, they started libraries, you know, there's a whole bunch of things. You know, a terrible business plan, if you went to the bank today with a plan to say, I'm gonna combine all these things into one store, they'd probably laugh at you. But but back in the day, you know, these, he set up the business to address social problems and address the conditions of those problems. How do we help people to read? How do we help them to eat properly? How do we help them to do these things? And I just think as a church, we need to begin to look at some of the conditions and not just the problems. And one of the greatest ways to deal with the conditions is to, um, the conditions of poverty, is to provide work. I think that you know some of the greatest charities in the world are businesses that provide work for people. You know, they're, they're actually providing a solution um, to a condition. That means there isn't a problem. When Karen and I went to uh, Central Asia, we lived in Kazakhstan for many years, and we, we went to, uh, we were doing economic development as mission. And it was really interesting to, to focus in on, how do, we, how do we enable the church in Kazakhstan, in particular where we were, how do we help the church in Kazakhstan not become dependent on Western aid to sustain itself? And the solution was to help them start businesses. You know, that, that great uh, thing that's used in a lot of charities. You know, don't don't give a man a fish; teach a man to fish, and you'll feed him. What ours was was, you know, once he's learned to fish, buy him a boat so he can take other people fishing. So we were very focused on the SM, small medium enterprise development area in Central Asia. You know, we hundreds of businesses in Central Asia, and we did it through a kind of a child sponsorship type program, but it was business sponsorship. So the idea was that you could sponsor a business. It was capital investment only, no cash. Um, They would lease purchase this capital equipment. They would grow their business and grow from normally a mom-and-pop operation to employing 10 to 15 people. And within two years, we had about 360 businesses across the whole of Central Asia sustaining communities of Christians um, in an area where, where they were beginning to see persecution, mostly in Kyrgyzstan, Uzbekistan, Kazakhstan. And and again, it's, it's that thing of, you know, by helping address the condition, we can deal with the problem. And one of the things that we can do today is, like it says here, is we can sell our possessions and give to the poor. But I think God's heart through all of this shows that he's more concerned about the poor and more concerned about how we live in the kingdom by addressing those issues of poverty um, but the solutions we can be creative about as a church. We can um, create work. There you are know, many of the problems that we see with poverty, even in this country, um, is because you know, work doesn't pay. Wouldn't it be great if somebody could work a normal uh, set of hours in a week and earn enough to own their home, to feed their family, etc., etc. Yeah, there, are, there are multiple uh, reasons why there's poverty, um, but one of the things that we can do is we could um, begin to address issues not just by what we give, <clears throat> but by how we spend our money, how we invest our money, how we help others, and how we um, provide solutions to those conditions. And I've run, run out of time, and I've got so much more I'd love to say, um, so I'm going to leave it there. Let me just pray for us. Father, we just thank you for your word. Thank you for the the counterintuitive principles of your kingdom. And Lord, I pray for us that we wouldn't store up all our treasure just here on earth, but we would store up treasures of your kingdom and that you would help us uh, to help those in need and help those who are in poverty. In Jesus' name, amen.